flying the flag atop Florida's sea level at 108 feet. We broadcast from the area where legendary pirates have been born. Welcome to Raider Cop Nation. I'm your host, Alpha Mike. Today's episode, we will be discussing on episode 84, crisis intervention and the application of that evolution into a team. Of course, this curriculum is lengthy. This curriculum has to have a lot of commitment. This commitment, this curriculum, better said, is involved with a lot of partners beginning with you. Crisis intervention, I'll discuss further where it came from, from the law enforcement aspect of it, how long is it, it has been with us, and what in the world is going on with the forgotten profession with regards to crisis intervention. Crisis intervention deals with mentally ill, from the moderate to the severe. They are overloading the circuits in the criminal justice system like never before. Costing, like Bernie Sanders would say, millions and billions of dollars. And the lawyers, the lawyers will always, always make mental ill in the criminal justice system an experience never to be forgotten. We're going to explore this and much more. There's a lot to take apart here, and I'll get that. I'll get to that in a second. For those that know that I've traveled down to uh, Miami recently, that my dad had surgery. The surgery was uh, very well. He was up in his spirits. And um, I'll give you a little testimony of that. The surgery was on Thursday. Um, it was a four-hour surgery that turned into six and um you know we were uh, sitting around and um once we got to that four hour mark we started to become on ease on the speaker system of the hospital you would hear every once in a while stroke alert stroke alert stroke alert and we would all kind of um look a little bit crazier but uh, the surgery went well. Uh, kudos to the surgeon that during the operation had the foresight to have a call placed to us in the family waiting room to tell us about two hours into it that the surgery is going well and all is fine. So kudos out to the surgeon for that. Our six-hour ordeal ended uh, we were told that he was in recovery, then to go to intensive care. Of course, when we saw him, he was full of tubes and wires and gadgets. And he was out of it as well, of course, uh, coming out of a major surgery like that. So the surgeon had told us, you know, there's no need for you to stay here. I mean, you guys are more than welcome. But because he's going to be in that recovery and intensive care facility, it's going to be hard. You're only going to be allowed one visitor, 30 minutes apiece, and then all that stuff. 
and technically we would be in the way. The surgeon was right. We all agreed that we would leave for them to attend to him, and we would come back the next day. Well, the next day we're sitting around uh, the living room, and we're trying to guess what time we should get there so we're not in the way and so forth. When the phone rings, and as I pick up the phone, lo and behold, there he is, and he tells me, hey, what time are you coming? And shoot me my phone so I can see my messages. Yep. So surge, uh, surgery went well. Of course, he's 85 years old. A lot of pain, a lot of uh, issues that we still have to work out. He will be in the medical facility, hospital, slash, wherever else he's going uh, for the next three three weeks or so. And then, of course, the remainder of the recovery, up to eight to three months, will be at home. So it's going to be a long process, but surgery was done. For those, I took the opportunity to reach out to those that um, I know were uh, in prayer uh, with me and for me and my father. And um, so I sent them out a message that same day. And I thank everybody profusely for keeping us in those prayers. How do you get in touch with us? Well, you dial simple on your browser, RaiderCopNation.com. We pop up. You scroll it all the way down to the bottom. The social icons pop up, which is Facebook, iTunes, Instagram, and all that other good stuff. And, of course, on RaiderCopNation.com, we have Test Everything 1521. 15 minutes or less of God's powerful word for you every Monday, a wall Monday. You know how it is, Christian soldier on Sunday, a wall on Monday. So we're going to bring you back every Monday with 15 or less minutes of God's powerful word to uplift you, encourage you, and keep you moving. Remember, you cannot stay a midget, not only train up in the realm of law enforcement, but you have to train up spiritually as well. I believe that this topic that we're going to be discussing today is going to really enrich a lot of people. It is a long subject. You might think, well, crisis intervention, how what can he tell you? You're crazy, you take him to jail. But it is not that easy, my friends. And uh, I have been blessed to be a subject matter expert in the field. It um, is a field that will humble you very quickly. And I had a lot of ups and downs with that field. And I was encouraged to write a, a curriculum uh, that under the face of um, an investigation from the Department of Justice. And I did that. From uh, 09 to my retirement uh, up in 2016. And I was, uh, uh, for some of that, I, I would say from, 20, from 2010 to 2016, I was the coordinator of that program. And I wore a lot of hats. And one of the hats that I wore probably the best was the crisis intervention. I wore other ones as well. And it will be my honor and pleasure to bring this subject to you, the listener. Now, I'm going to warn you, the curriculum that I wrote and which passed with flying colors with the Justice Department was entailed 42 pages. 
So the curriculum is 42 pages, you can only imagine. And that's only 40 hours of material, folks. Mm, the course really extended to 56, but we'll explain those things a little bit further down the road. We, are ha we have a lot on the agenda. I will try to give you an overview in this one. And most likely we're looking at another 10 after this, combining subjects, at least two on each episode. Now, am I going to hit you with episode one, two, three, four, right behind each other? No, I'm not going to do that to you. That's torture. But the episodes will come out periodically, um, and I'll go ahead and throw them in there. There is no order. There's no order on how it's going to be done. It's just going to go on there. But we have created a resource for our listeners that want to be trained in law enforcement or have knowledge in law enforcement, we've created 09TG.com, which is O, the little letter O, 9, the number, T as in tangle, G as in golf, dot com. There you can go, hit the section that says training, and when it uh, downloads, you will see every episode that we've ever done on Radio Cop Nation that deals with training. Of course, that's only an overview of the training. Hands-on is also available and coming soon as well. As And also, we're going to kind of add and paste and stick and all that other stuff, YouTube sometime in there also. So there's a lot we're doing. And, um, you know, part of mentorship is about building. Anybody that knows me knows that I never worked in a unit that I didn't build. Build it one stone at a time, making it higher and higher. Always with the emphasis when you take over something that you leave it at a higher standard than you found it. And that's what I've always tried to do. Now, before we get into the meat and potatoes of what our subject is today, it's time for the leadership quote of the day. This week's leadership quote comes from us from the good people at General Electric. And if you remember, they bring good things to life. But that's not the quote. We're just reminding you of the advertisement. An organization's ability to learn and translate that learning into action rapidly is the ultimate competitive advantage. An organization's ability to learn and translate that learning into action rapidly is the ultimate competitive advantage. From Jack Walsh, former CEO of General Electric, which, of course, remember, brings good things to life. So, I want to remind you, don't forget, a warm Monday, it's every Monday, it's only 15 minutes, guys. You know, you can you can lift up and, and walk. Crisis intervention, it is a long subject. This will take, at a minimum, we are looking at 10 episodes. It might be a little bit more. It might, you know, we'll, we'll hit or miss. But 42 pages of a curriculum, my friends, you are going to learn, and you're going to learn something today. So without any further wah, 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 it is time to bring in the main event.
gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the main event. Crisis intervention, or CIT as it's known in law enforcement circles, started in 1988 in the city of Memphis, Tennessee. After an incident police had with a mentally ill subject, there was a use of force that resulted in the death of that mentally ill subject with gunshots. The community was outraged. They wanted a better answer to the issue with mental illness in the community. So they really forced upon the chief of police to come up with better training for officers. Well, they obliged, and they partnered up with some mental health groups like NAMI, National Alliance for Mental Illness, and they created the CIT pilot program. It started to become more and more successful, and today I would say a very, very, very large number of agencies in the country have a CIT program. But the CIT program in my opinion, fell short. It is 31 years old, and it is basically on life support. It's pretty much the same consistent training that they taught from the beginning. But you see, society evolves, things evolve, but the program hasn't. Now, I know that there's those experts out there who say, this guy doesn't know anything. This guy's running his mouth, you know, like Howard Cosell used to say. But I can assure you, I do know what I'm talking about. Social networking in this new environment of CAT is a must for those outside in the street. But I don't believe it's been uh, placed in to the curriculum. And some other things. It fell short when it was first created as well. They wanted officers to be more personable when they speak to the mental ill patient, getting closer, less threatening, so that the subject feels a lot more comfortable. Hogwash, it wasn't going to work in law enforcement terms. That, my friends, was against the training that they received in the academy. But we had to blend them together, and of course they did. But the, the liberals wanted something more snowflakey, but they never got what they wanted. The CIT program officers did defuse a lot of situations where some mentally ill folks would have ended up in jail. There was a little flexibility in law enforcement that they could now take them to a crisis center or a hospital of some sorts. And uh, what we call here in Florida, Baker Act, leave you in there involuntary for 72 hours. And it gave them a little more flexibility. Although that law, those laws were on the books, they could have used, but uh, police are very slow in thinking out of the box. So CIT brought this whole new adventure. But see the premise. There's a premise in everything that we do in law enforcement, and this is no different. The press, the the premise of the officer on duty was how fast can I drive to wherever I'm supposed to go and drop 
this individual off wherever. And that is the premise. There's another thing that a lot of these administrators fail to realize. They come up with these terms. The officer will stay on scene as long as it's necessary. He'll have to do what he has to do. While the officer is saying, as soon as I have the opportunity to get rid of this goof, I will. That's reality, folks. And we're not sugarcoating anything. So CIT and law enforcement, slow to evolve, slow to change, 31 years old, kind of doing the same thing in and out. Now, people that are mentally ill and get in trouble with the law a whole lot kind of already know the policy and the procedures better than the officers that just started. So they already know the pat on the back, the pamphlet, and where they're going. That in itself presents a security issue. That's why the industry has to evolve. But I want to talk about today, um, specifically, the forgotten profession of corrections. Because, you see, this is the system they can't say no. You can't drop them off. Now, police have been experts in Uber and Lyft. They will get you to your destination and two bats of an eye drop you off at jail better than any Uber or Lyft driver in the country. They're professionals at it. And they dump them in the system. They can't say no. The jail. You can't just brush them off at the jail. Let's drop them off at parks and recreation and say, hey, you hold them for a couple of weeks. So they are the last post in the criminal justice system. Even when they go back and forth to court, which they'll probably go three times as longer than anybody else, and they get sentenced, they may go to prison. Well, they'll stay there for probably three times longer than anybody else also. Not to mention the health care cost. Anything health-related in this country today is big bucks. And mentally ill is also right there with the biggest of them. They will charge you an arm and a leg. Having a psychiatrist on staff means a lot. The industry standard is for every one psychiatrist, that should be about 100 prisoners or inmates. <laughs> but when you have thousands in your system, the going right folks for a psychiatrist is not $15 an hour, like, like Bernie would say. So this presents a problem, not only to mention the cost of salary, but the cost of medication. Whopping zeros all over the place and no relief in sight. So you wonder how does the profession that has been forgotten in law enforcement handle this, the system that can't say no? Well, I'll answer that. Painstakingly, they handle it begging for money, looking for staff, um, creating conditions which are almost impossible to create and having to do it seven days a week, 24 hours a day for eternity because it's a system they can't say no. So presented with that, I was given the task of creating a curriculum, and I did. Now, I took what the law enforcement boys had on their side, and I looked at it and looked at it and looked at it, and then I crumbled up the paper and 
threw it in the wastebasket because it wasn't going to fit into what I had to do. So we proceeded to go and start from scratch. Now, when I got on board in 09, I wasn't the coordinator. I was just one of the instructors. The coordinator that was there had eight hours on the books and um, did the best he could and, and what, what he had. I was fortunate after he left, I took over, that the department now was in hot water with the Department of Justice. The flames were actually reaching their backside, and they were in a full panic mode when they gave me the helm and said, do something. So I created 40 and 16, which is 56 if you're slow in math, of uh, curriculum to certify officers in this event. Hundreds and hundreds were trained for hundreds and hundreds of hours. There also had to be a component not only to receive the training. You know how it is, a certificate that you were there. We weren't going to have that. You had to pass the course. And most importantly, you had to show readiness. You know, that you can actually do what you were trained to do. But the snowflakes on the top were little resistant to this. What? They just can't get a certificate of participation? They didn't like that. So there was some, uh, you know, backroom chatter and uh, so forth, making sure that everybody passed. But some didn't. So they were removed from their positions. They lost 5% of income. Oh, well, sucks to be them. We got to keep it moving. That's not my problem. If you raise your hand to do something, make sure you can do it. I'd hate to have a firefighter that couldn't pick up a hose. So therefore, I had the responsibility to making sure that they could do the job. As such, we went into this um, back and forth with the Justice Department and... Uh, we were successful in getting their approval, the Justice Department, the Big Brother, the Watching Eye, and uh, the Bob Merler profit wheel. And we were fortunate enough to get the wink and the nod that we did a good job, that our system could be used as a pilot for the rest of the country. Big honor, big pledge. I, 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 got, a, I got a little sticky or something so I could hang up on my trophy wall, and uh, I moved on. Simple as that. A lot of people have told me, well, why didn't you make money doing this? You can be a consultant. You can do a lot of things. You can be a contender. Don't just sit there. But I said, are you crazy? I'm freaking retired. I'm not going to do any of this. But the knowledge, my friends, the knowledge is in the noggin. It's in the brain. Don't be hoodwinked. It doesn't go away. It grows. And I know more than a lot of other people know on the industry. And today I'm going to start teaching you the back door, how things really work and how idiotic some of our administrators around the country, of course, can screw things up in a heartbeat. So let's come up with some facts. Let's look at some numbers. Now, part of the curriculum and how we teach it is you've got to know your history so you can go to the future. Need to know where you came from so you know where you're going to go. And that goes for law enforcement as it does for the forgotten profession corrections. If I know that the community has been complaining about mentally ill and there's been no relief in safe for years, 
then I'm going to put some pressure on the local police department to, hey, you need to do something, change some training or, you know, get something going. And then I'm going to evaluate that with data. And the data is going to make me look good. And that's important. Now, they need to go somewhere. And we discussed that. They don't go to parks, parks and recreation. They have to go to the nearest facility. And, of course, law enforcement, they will Uber and lift you there as fast as humanly possible. And now the system they can't say no has to absorb you forever and ever and ever. It's a revolving door. You will go in and out, in and out, in and out. You will stay there three times longer than the regular inmate that just did, a, you know, whatever felony crime. Okay, in out he goes. But the crazy guy gets to stay a little longer. Well, what was his mentality, his, his mindset at the time of the crime? We need to find out. So we hire the high-priced psychiatrist on the wheel at the courtroom, and they need to go do an evaluation to see if he was really psychotic at the time of the crime. Folks, this will take months, years. The gravy train has started. The choo-choo has left the station. And a whole lot of people will make a lot of money. This is better than the Brinks job. And the profession that can't say no absorbs it all. Well, you go from one inmate that's crazy to thousands. Ask the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. They have so much. They've been criticized for so long. I thought, I think Moses was actually wearing shorts when they first got into trouble with the Department of Justice. It's something that just won't go away. You need to make reform changes, and you need to get out of the spotlight. But it all is not just, here's the new curriculum. I want you to follow this, and I want you to do it. No, you have to change the mindset of the ones doing it. Another area where leadership fails, because a lot of the leadership, especially where I came from, they had never been experienced in working with mentally ill. No, as fast as their little feet would take them out of there, they would run. They didn't know what a psych looked like, nor did they care. Problem number one. So if you don't know what you're trying to fix, how can you fix it? But the guys that did it every day, they knew how to fix it. So let's look at the numbers of what the industry tells me I'm facing if I'm the little guy. Well, the Treatment Advocacy Center, wherever they are, they say well, through the Department of Justice that 356,000 mentally ill inmates in America are in jails and prisons. Now, we will identify what you need to do in order to be part of the 356,000. Now, if you are a Google expert, like many out there, you can Google something sometimes with two fingers. That's how fast you are. You will see some astronomical numbers like 700,000 mentally ill inmates in prison systems in America. But folks, don't get hoodwinked with the phony numbers because some of that brings grant money and uh, so the numbers might be inflated. So these numbers are more realistic because these are inmates and you have to have a set standard of what is an inmate or prisoner. You have to identify them. 
Is it when the cop puts the handcuffs on me? When do I become an inmate or a prisoner? And the 356,000 identifies that. We will discuss that a little further down the road. Two million people with mental illness are booked yearly. That's a whole lot of folks. Now, what happens to them in the shuffle? Well, some of their cases are thrown out because it's trespassing, loitering, and stuff like that. Some of them pay fines if they have the money. And some of them are just absorbed by the system. Where, well, you know, it's just him again. And, and uh, you know, they just get another case and they get dropped in the endless cycle. And, of course, some of them pay bond their family. Oh, my God, crazy Jimmy got arrested. And they'll do whatever they have to do to get him out. 83% of uh, jail inmates have no access to treatment. Now, don't be scared and hoodwinked by the number 83 Sounds to me like that might be a Bernie Sanders conspiracy. But those numbers are a little high, especially with the language. Access to treatment. Well, inmates don't have access to anything. They only receive what you give them. So treatment could be from an aspirin to a pat on the back and a hug saying, tomorrow will be better, you'll see. So what the hell is treatment? So I don't like that statistic because it's vague, narrow, and it tells me that a politician created it. 26% have severe or serious mental illness. And we'll discuss what that is in a few. 10% come out of jails, 14% come out of prisons with um, serious psychological needs and disorders after Get this, they developed this after 30 days that they've been there. Now, of course, some people actually came in crazy before, but the system has to absorb them for 30 days to get them part of the 356,000 count. See how that works? So in order to be a prisoner or an inmate, you have to do a little stay of about 30 days. Then you're eligible for treatment, this, grant money. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say grant money out loud. Now, let's go back. Memory lane. Remember history. Don't know. If I don't know my history, I don't know where I'm going. 1959, 559,000 mentally ill were housed in state mental hospitals. Well, what happened? Where the hell are the mental hospitals? Why don't we just bring them there? I'm getting to that in a minute. That statistic comes from the National Institute of Corrections. In 1970, not only the U.S. and our good liberals here, but the world was doing a deinstitutionalized program. They didn't like the way the mentally ill were being treated. Now, if you look at the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, there were horror. There were horror movies for mentally ill. Uh, Geraldo Rivera, the journalist, he did a documentary about Willowbrook uh, back in the 70s. And basically, just to give you a little rundown on that, and I'll post it on the show notes, a, a video of it. He snuck into this mental institution in New York called Willowbrook. And, uh, of course, he had inside somebody helping him. And it's a good thing he did. Went in there and he filmed the atrocity and the conditions that these people were looking at, <clears throat> living in, I mean, and the world started, they were looking at it. He exposed it to everybody. The outcry was enormous. 
uh, especially in, in New York. And um, so reform was on the horizon. We, with that, we ran into a little law on June 26, 1975. The, our Supreme Court here in the United States, they heard O'Connor versus Donaldson, which basically said that uh, you could not confine a non-dangerous person to a mental institution. If they were not dangerous, you could let them go. We said, well, all mentally ill people are dangerous. Well, actually, the statistic based on how many people have mental illness is very, very low. You know, it's like that statistic that certain people always get beat up by cops, but the numbers really don't show you those numbers. Percentage are dangerous. A very small percentage will be delusional, and you'll be part of their delusion because they look at you as a double-headed monster, so they try to attack you. But that's few and far between. Not all of them are dangerous, which is a good thing. So once the Supreme Court looked at this, they said, look, you can't, if they're not dangerous, you got to let them go. And we're not talking about treatment. They didn't even want to dare to touch that. They said you can't hold them beyond their will. And if they're crazy, who's going to decide their will? So the end result, open the door and let out the floodgates, all 559,000 running around screaming. So now police, a local guy is out there driving, going from crazy call to crazy call. And he gets so, and she gets so frustrated that the only thing they can do is, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, I got to go eat lunch. So put your hands behind your back. And they would Uber and lift them as fast as their wheels could take them to the local jail. All of a sudden, the local jail is packed to the rim. Now, one of the resources that our <clears throat> federal government created for us after the war, the Second World War, and uh, WW2, now for our young millennials that don't even know what the hell I'm talking about, that was in 1945. So after that, all these people that fought in the World War, big, big war over in, in Asia and in Europe, big, it was a big one. They all came back, and guess how they came back, the majority of them, with post-traumatic syndrome, which really wasn't known at the time. They just called it crazy. So our government, 1946, created the National Institute of Mental Health, which is 27 institutions. They kind of blend in everything in there, you know, bipolar and uh, schizophrenia, and they kind of study each one of these realms of mental illness and there's resources that come with it grants and and so forth so again as you know and i know that anything that the united states government has their hands on we are doomed but so far something is better than nothing when you're dealing with the crazy population all right so let's get to the mustard now let's uh let the wheels hit the road and let's look at what we will be looking at and these probably 10 podcasts that are coming. Remember, subjects will be combined, about two subjects in each podcast, not to overload the circuits. Now, this is not in any particular order, but it is the areas that I've kind of identified from the 42-page curriculum that I created, and I'll basically say this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the history of the agency. I told you if you don't know where you've come, you don't know where you're going. That is very important. 
And as we play out these scenarios, you'll see why. Signs and symptoms of mental illness, I would not dare bore you to death. It is worse, a worse feat than watching paint dry on the wall if I sit here and give you each diagnosis. But I will hit on certain points of these diagnoses and how they deal with certain subject matter, how people act out in the street and uh, law enforcement interaction make it a little bit more interesting. Uh, screening, how, how are they identified? Uh, de-escalation techniques, and I'm not talking about a use of force de-escalation. I'm talking about just simply how do you speak to them. And uh, we will do a whole show on that, and that's going to be fun. Neck restraint. Now, again, you know, I know like, when you say the word neck restraint, people, a cameraman from CNN immediately jump to attention and start running to any scene that they can go to and filming it. And then the experts behind that desk those subject matter expert journalists that have never held a job in their lives will look at that 30-second footage and say, yes, folks, that was excessive, without not knowing what it is. But when you're dealing with that small percentage of uh, mentally ill that are dangerous or violent, sometimes slippery slope in trying to grab them. So you have to if you have ever been in a fight, and if you haven't, pay attention, write it on a crayon, on a cardboard box. Wherever the head goes, the body goes. Follow me? So some of these restraints, not gonna, they're going to they're, they're gonna immobilize him, but they, uh, if done properly, he'll live to tell the tale. Then we're going to talk about a restraint device called RAP and uh, the applying of that into the CIT program. Now, here, here's a vision for those that don't know what I'm talking about. So here's wrap. It's like a, a rubber, leather type of device that you immobilize the feet, the legs, the arms. They're in a comfortable sitting position. And once they're in the restraint, the officers can carry the subject to wherever they need to go. And it's safe for them and it's safe for the officers, of course. The $64,000 question is, how do you get them in the street? And that's a whole other thing. But you have that versus chains. Chains, that's right, metal chains that you wrap around their leg or you put the handcuffs on. So which one would they probably get hurt with first? That's a quiz for later. Don't answer it yet. Life-saving skills. Now, when we introduce life-saving skills, a lot of the upper brass, a lot of the administrators, a lot of the college-educated nitwits that we had on the top said, why the hell would we need that? Well, they forgot what the objective was. Keep them alive at all costs so we can sentence them and incur this tax on the taxpayer. So, if Johnny comes to jail and Johnny hears voices and the voices say, hurt yourself... Our job would be to make sure that Johnny doesn't kill himself. But if Johnny tries and he takes off his socks or his underwear and he looks up and he goes, that's a good place to secure it, and he goes for it, then and only then we're going to have to jump into life-saving, just like the firefighters, because our job is to keep that man or woman alive where the heart beats so we can sentence them and screw them real good. You're not going to go out that easy, buddy. So life-saving skills. Consumer and family perspective. That's going to be interesting as well. We're going to talk about what a families go through. 
they, they're lost. They don't know what to do. They're, they're presented with this problem. They're overwhelmed. Tragedies have happened. They've been let down by the system over and over again. And of course, the consumers, the crazy people themselves that are not cured. So anybody tells you, I was cured of mental illness, or somebody says, I know that, that, that group over there, they can cure mental illness. They're lying, folks, because it can only be placed in remission. Oh, write that down. Get your crayons and your cardboard box only placed in remission. Remember that. All right, we're coming down to the wire. We're going to show you or we're going to talk about. We're not going to show you the new Asylum. It's a PBS documentary. It was uh, fantastic when it came out. It still is from 2005. That's dated. I was only 12 then. Yeah, it is. But it will show you what mentally ill people go through in prison and in jails. And uh, eye-opener. We're going to talk about force and how force is executed in the street with mentally ill and in the jails. Two different types of force levels and how they're executed and so forth. So we'll talk about that, and that'll be fun. Um, levels of care. That's right, some of these individuals are special, and they have different type of psychosis. So like they used to say on the twilight, twilight Zone, imagine, if you will, a person that's bipolar or manic-depressant, in the manic mode, screaming and talking to themselves for the last 48 hours, and he's in a little housing unit together with an individual that's a schizophrenic. That, my friends, is a recipe for disaster. So we will talk about that and how to get around that little issue as well. Case studies, what the department has done wrong and how we need to Fix it. Just like Alcoholics Anonymous, my friends, that you got to stand up, give your name. My name is Bob, and I'm a alcoholic. Agencies need to stand up and say, we have failed. And from that failure, they need to grow and not stay a midget. So we will look at case uh, case uh, studies and department uh, legal matters. Deliberate indifference. What is deliberate indifference? Well, it's what I should have done, but I didn't do, but I was going to do it anyway, but I didn't end up doing it. So now what happens? That's deliberate indifference. And we'll see if uh, Delta Delta helps us with that subject. Special populations, which we've already covered, uh, forcible entry techniques. Here's another bunch of rocket scientists that I used to work for. They said, why in the world do we need forcible entry techniques? (laughs) We're trying to help these people. Well, again, having no idea what this individual looks like or what they are capable of doing, they will jam locks, prevent you from getting in, and try to do bodily harm to themselves or someone else. So you would have to physically try to get in. Now, if you ever try to break into jail, you would know it's very difficult. So the course, uh, we would teach forcible entry techniques. So we will polish your ears for that one. We'll teach you how that works. Humane restraints over chemical restraints. Now, there's a lot of drug addicts out there that are masquerading as psychiatrists, and they love drugs. Drugs, 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 drugs all day long. But, you know, when you're a little kid and you're a little hyperactive, they bring you over to the counselor's office, you go to the psychiatrist, next thing you know, on a bottle of Ritalin, you're drooling all over yourself and you become an adult. And then you become mad and you get into the system and all that. So... 
Is that better? Will that really work than some type of humane restraint in case you are going through a real crisis? Remember, we talked about that small percentage that's violent. Well, guess what? That can happen at any time. Tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. So you have to have something in place. Oh, no, you don't. Our facilities have good doctors. We give them chemical restraints, and they go to sleep, and everything is fine in Disneyland. Oh, folks, it doesn't work that way. Somebody's got to give the injection. Okay, that's all I'll say with that one. So 42 pages of stuff that we're going to have to talk about. There's a lot on the agenda. This is just an overview of the crisis intervention teams, which I had the pleasure of creating the curriculum, working with some of the best people in the industry. They made me look good each and every day. And um, also having the ability to become a subject matter expert. Um, there were times I was questioned um, by lawyers, and they thought they were smart enough. But see, these goofballs were another ones that they didn't understand what they were trying to sue and what the hell was going on. So it was like going around, going around their heads so easy. When you know what you're talking about, you're deadly. When you don't, you don't. So CIT, that's what it's called. You might see an officer in your neighborhood or your jurisdiction walking around with a little CIT badge. You might have said, what the hell is that? Is that the CIA? And you don't know. Well, it stands for crisis intervention teams. Teams are put down by each agency. They train these groups and they send them out to go do crazy things and bring good things to life with those crazy people. Now, my criticism of police have been a little bit over the top. I could say that. And uh, will I take back those words? No. Why? Because I've seen it. And I know it's true. They will hightail it, Uber, or Lyft as fast as those wheels can turn to dump that individual. Can I say rightfully so? Yeah, well, when you're humping and you got 12 calls pending, it's kind of hard to play social worker. And law enforcement has been an industry that more and more is being placed on the officer on the beat. You need to be a social worker. You need to be a doctor. You need to be a big brother, a big sister. Uh, you need to be a, a business genius. There's so many things they want you to, so many hats they want you to, to wear. It becomes very difficult. And you're timed. Your supervisor is a professional timer, and they look, how long is this guy going to be on this freaking call? What the hell? And that's another problem as well. So we don't have in the front lines a lot of time to fix a very difficult issue, making it much more complex. When you have an administration that understands what this subject is all about, my friends, you will work in a great environment. But when you have administrators that don't know their left from their right, that makes it a lot more difficult. Of course, the administrators, they're the ones that go down to the city hall, county hall, wherever hall they're going down, and they will tell those politicians, nope, I know this subject very well. And I can tell you, be fearful, because, my friends, nothing but hogwash and hoodwinking is going to happen. That's scary. And uh, as a result of that, 
I could tell you horror stories, and I will be telling you in these 10 episodes that are coming. When are they coming? Sporadically. There's no uh, date. I will plug them in here and there. How long will it take to hear the whole series? Maybe two or three years. What the hell? Are you going anywhere? And uh, you can catch them where? 09TG.com under the section that says training. O as in the little O letter. 9 as in the number. T as in tango. G as in golf. Dot com. And there you can, that's part of our training resource that we have for Raider Cop Nation. Uh, the online training program there is free because it's just copies of the podcast. From firearms to crazy people and everything else in between, you can find there. As the library gets built, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Remember, can you imagine when they first did the Library of Congress? They started like with one item. What do you want me to do with it? I don't know. Just keep it there so people can see it later, and look look what they look what they've done. Mm. Look what they've done, folks. We are in troubled times, where fiction becomes reality, where people are obsessed with something that didn't happen, where they spend millions of dollars investigating something that never occurred. That, my friends, is our federal government. Our legislators, our FBI, our Justice Department, it's all upside down. Our court system, they're sucking wind as well, stupider each and every day, looking at stuff that they had no business looking at because there's nothing to look at, making up stories as they go along. If you're in law enforcement, if you were in law enforcement, if you know anybody that has ever done law enforcement, ask them. And when you get a warrant and you stand in front of the judge, what do you got to do? You lift up your hand, swear to tell the truth that the warrant's accurate and stuff. Yeah. What, what, what if you're lying? Right. But apparently in this case, nothing happens and nothing will happen. So... I don't know, I thought I'd just get that out there because, you know, that's the talk of the day. It's on CNN, 42 hours of a day. All they need, all they talk about is, oh, collusion, collusion, tax records. Uh, there's a freaking crime. I'm telling you, it's in there. Can you imagine if these morons were cops? Folks, it's been my honor and my pleasure to be your host on Raider Cop Nation. You can always look us up at RaiderCopNation.com. Our next series we will introduce from the forgotten profession, Delta Delta, my good friend. This guy is top notch, and I am eager to have him come on. Uh, we've been having a little schedule issues because this man works. And uh, so I work on their schedule. My superheroes come first. And uh, he will be coming on with uh, an introduction program for him and then uh the next episode after that, we'll talk about the academy where he was an instructor and a very good one. We will talk about the hit or misses of those academy days. Now, don't forget to pray for yourself. It's very important. Don't forget to pray for your family. Don't forget to pray for your community. Especially don't forget to pray for the law enforcement agencies that serve you and always keep in prayer, the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike, signing out. And
and guide her through the night with a light from above from the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam God bless America my home Thank you. 